hey. Oh, no. How's it going, <laughs> eh? Welcome to another episode of Laser Graves. <laughs> I'm your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hello, Eileen Kathleen the Canadian. <laughs> Sorry about that, but you know my mom was born in Canada, so <laughs> technically it's not offensive if I do it. Oh, that's how it works. I understand. Yes. Can Are Canadians offended when people do Canadian accents? For sure. We have a, a lot of Canadian listeners, so don't let us know. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody. Uh, this is Laser Graves, a podcast about the 80s. If you're joining us for the first time, that's what you're in for. <laughs> Way to go, bud. Uh, if you are returning, we're so glad you're back. Hi again. And we're hoping that you're having a great holiday season because Christmas is just around the corner. Yep. Kwanzaa, Kwan- Boxing Day. What else? Hanukkah's Hanukkah. happening. Yeah. It's, it's now. We're in the middle of it right now. Whoa. It's in the mix. So it's happening. We discussed doing a Christmas episode and stuff like that, but... We we leaned in pretty hard last year. I, I just kind of wanted to not not do that this year. Was that last year? Or was it the year before? I feel... Oh, it might have been the year before, actually. I don't know. I've totally lost track of time. Well, whenever it was, you can go back and listen to those episodes. We did a bunch. What did we do? We did Elves. We did Don't Open Until Christmas. Black Christmas. No, that came out in the 70s. Mm. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I don't. I don't want to even think about all the episodes we've done. <laughs> I'm kind of bored by that already. Oh, I, we're at the point now where I'm like, wait, did we cover that? Didn't we? I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Actually, speaking of this week's episode, started as we were just going to do a movie because mm-hmm. we had talked about like how crazy we haven't done that movie. Except you were insistent that we had already covered it. Totally thought we had. So I had to look up our past episodes to prove that we hadn't covered it yet. That's how prolific we are. Well, speaking of, this week, if you didn't know, by my amazing uh, homage to my mother's heritage with that accent, (laughs) we are discussing (laughs) possibly one of the greatest Canadians in Canadian history. He's up there. Mm -hmm. He's a he's a champion for sure. He should be knighted. If do Canadians knight? Mm, Definitely. Okay. Well, anyway, Sir (laughs) Sir John Michael Thor. Uh, Let's kick out those jams to get this party started. As I was mentioning, it originally started we were going to do Rock and Roll Nightmare Mm. because we were shocked that we hadn't done it yet. We have done Zombie Nightmare. Yeah. So we were like 50% okay, 50% ashamed. 
Right. And we realized like, well, why have we not done this? So we just watched the movie. We took our notes. We were getting ready to do the episode. And I think it was maybe my bright idea that was like, wait, we should just do an entire episode on uh, on Thor himself, mm-hmm. which proved to be a very good choice. It was. He is a fascinating fellow. He is an extremely... He's lived a, a very interesting life. Yes. We will do our best to... In the short time, you know, our episodes are like an hour. So we'll do the best we can as a crash course. But if we jump around a little, that's because not only is his story a little weird, the way he tells it sometimes is a little weird. So yeah. <laughs> I think there's a, a bit of um asterisk next to a lot of the things that come up with mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. maybe fact check that later, but they all make for really really fun story and the things we'll get to them we're, we're luring your in, you in with these tidbits but i feel like the things that are questionable you can't disprove or prove ever yeah that's the the sign of a, a larger than life legend yeah we need to create our own legends for ourselves yeah like that your mom was born in toronto <laughs> <laughs> well my whole family is from Quebec on my mom's side. That is an actual fact. As in, like, two generations back. I don't know if I believe you. What are you, you said, talking about? You said Quebec. It's Quebec. Well, that's because I'm not... I don't say Paris when I'm in Paris. I do. Of course you do. <laughs> Gosh. I'm just trying to talk about Thor, eh? Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That All was right. rude of me. Yeah, I agree. So... <laughs> Let's start from the top with this guy, because he, he's a character. He was not always known as Thor. This is going to come as a shock. But we got to start somewhere. Yeah. And we got to start pre-Thor. I was thinking you could maybe pull out the... The... <laughs> Thorsaurus. <laughs> and look it up. Yes. Or we could just start in the beginning. Let's do that. In the beginning. In the beginning, there was swords being forged, armor being fitted. And this is before modern times. (laughs) It was well before it. (laughs) So let's start in 1953. You're in Canada. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet it was a really groovy place in 1953. <laughs> so we have some parents who are in their 40s. They think they're done having kids, and they get a little surprise in 1953. Oh, is he the youngest? He is a surprise child to parents in their 40s. He's a gift. Okay. Okay. Right? Yeah. I think parents in their 40s. Yeah. Yep, that's what you tell the kid. You're a miracle, you're a gift. That's what my mom told me. I was nine years after my sisters and she said that I was a miracle. Yeah. Well, she thought she couldn't have kids, she said, but she'd already had, had, a, kid. had a kid. So... Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I really was a miracle. You are. Still? Yeah, you continue to be. Thanks. Okay. So, parents, they're in their 40s. You'd be like, wait... How old am I going to be when this kid's 20? Yeah. Do I have a life or is my entire life just being a parent? Oh, gosh. You know what? Side note. So my youngest brother is, I was 12 when he was born. Mm -hmm. So my parents 
raised underage children for 30 years. Yeah. Well, I've got better things to do with my life. I love having kids. They're great. Oh, my gosh. A kid in your 40s. But Thor's parents made the best of it. They rallied and they didn't name their child. They're not cool Vikings. They did not name their child Thor. He was born John David Michael. So Michael is his last name. It's M-I-K-L, which is kind of cool. That is kind of a cool name. Kind of metal. I don't know. Um, And again, I need to reaffirm here that, full disclosure, these people are all Canadians that we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Don't get get it confused. (laughs) He was born in Vancouver, and as a child, he was obsessed with Superman, and he claims to have worn his Superman costume to school. I totally believe it. Knowing him still to this day, when I listen to interviews and watch interviews, I believe he absolutely was that kid that wore a Superman costume to school. Do you want to hear the cutest Superman story? Sure. Okay. So my parents are high school sweethearts, and my dad is a big dork. And my mom was like the cheerleader, valedictorian, everything. Mm -hmm. And my dad, for I don't know how long, wore a Superman shirt under his snap button, like Western style shirt every day, waiting for somebody to say, who do you think you are, Superman? And one day, uh, my mom was asking for help lifting like an ancient typewriter. (laughs) And my dad's like, I'll help you. And she goes, who do you think you are, (laughs) Superman? And he, he was like, this is my moment. And he ripped open his snap front shirt and revealed his Superman t-shirt underwear. And that's what did it, huh? Yeah. yeah. That's what got the babe. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that so cute, That's a really great. Yeah, he is a dork in all the right ways. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, he, John Michael Thor, was obsessed with Superman, wore his Superman costume to school. I think he had to kind of hide it. And he says that he would ask kids to throw bricks at his head (laughs) because he genuinely believed he could deflect them. So my thought process on this is somebody threw a brick at his head. It hit him and did some something. And then he just was like, yep, I'm Superman now. You know, I also can identify with this because when I was a kid, I was convinced that I could just use it like a trash bag and and jump off of a tall structure and float down like a parachute. Mm -hmm. So I was raised in my grandfather built us a a home and it was a two story house. And Mm -hmm. I climbed to the roof of the two story home, stood at the edge (sighs) with a trash bag and almost jumped off when I was a child. But you didn't. You survived. I didn't. I looked over in the distance and saw a garage was only one story up. And I thought, I'll try that one first. <laughs> so I went over there and I jumped off of that and tumbled to the ground because it did not work. No. But I learned a valuable lesson. Uh, trash bags do not work as parachutes. Thanks. Brilliant insight. Yeah. So people were throwing bricks at Thor's head. Right. And I feel like this is possibly a metaphor for the rest of his life. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, that's pretty pretty on the nose right there. John's older brother was actually a competitive bodybuilder, and John just kind of followed his brother's lead. Oh, was he? I knew mm-hmm. that he was into lifting weights. I didn't realize his brother was also doing competitions. And oh, stuff. yeah. Um, so he followed his brother's lead and began pursuing competitive bodybuilding. 
And by the age of 19, he had won over 40 titles around the world. That's insane. He won some major titles, too. Yeah, he was actually the first Canadian to win Mr. Canada and Mr. USA. Yeah, I mean, this was a big deal. He was competing alongside Lou Ferrigno. Uh, I know he was bumping shoulders with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I mean, this is all early 70s, mm-hmm. late 60s, early 70s. So this was prime time. Uh, really interesting to think. When people say, oh, yeah, he was a bodybuilder, I don't think they quite understand how serious he was. Go look at pictures. It's really wild. Like, I was listening to an interview with him and he was talking about Lou Ferrigno. And he said, you know, I came in second at this competition in like New York or something. And he said, and then we were over in Switzerland and I came in second there. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was the real deal. He was an actual like champion yeah. bodybuilder. Yes. And I was like, OK, well, what's next? <laughs> yeah, I got a sense of that, too. Like it, it just came so naturally to him. Like he he's ripped his energy even now still to this day so high and he's been through the ringer at this point in his life but his energy is so high and i think he just channeled it and like conquered it and was like okay and now what yeah he and he's also got a really creative mind i think the other thing about him Mm -hmm. you know he's this kind of cult hero but he's always just trying things out and Mm -hmm. oftentimes he's pretty successful at what he tries and it's never in the same area that he was working in he just kind of gets these random ideas Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting to me that he was doing traveling the world as this champion bodybuilder and was already starting to think ahead as a teenager yeah there's there's more more. yeah I, i think this is interesting i i heard him talk about it saying you know he knew that Arnold was getting into other ventures, too. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, well, what am I going to do next? Yeah, I think probably because he peaked so young. Very young. Yeah, uh, He he just had to go like, what else am I going to do? I can't just continue to do this for 20 more years. Yeah. I mean, as like a 15 year old, he was winning championships. Yeah, that's some genetics right there. Yeah. (laughs) Wowzers. And I cannot express to you enough how much you need to go and look at how ripped this man is it's crazy it's like arnold not quite well not not that big but he was huge i mean he was big enough to win national championships but wow you just put him down a peg well no because he admitted this he said that um he was talking about arnold one time Mm -hmm. and he said he walked in and arnold was in the room and i guess they were trying to interview him or photograph him Mm -hmm. and arnold like shouted for him to get out (laughs) <laughs> because he felt threatened. He was like, get out of, you know, this is my area. This is my muscles area. Yeah. And Thor said his very first thought was like, I'm not even kind of in the Arnold League of Muscles. <laughs> so I don't know what he was even worried about. But Arnold was very possessive of of making sure he was. The, I mean, he went on to be Mr. Universe like three years in a row or something. So, yeah. you know, I get that. But I do think it's it's one thing to say like you're a professional bodybuilder and then you're Arnold. Like, Arnold really was this freak of the times. Mm-hmm. But Thor, by all accounts, um, in the late 60s, freak. yeah, and early 70s, was was really top of his game. That is weird. Isn't it strange when you... I, that's something we've done on this podcast a lot. You, like, take a peek into a different world and you're like, oh, 
People get really riled up about yeah. that. Yeah, they're super into it. But I do think it's interesting that by his late teens, he was already kind of looking elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I know he was jamming out, you know, to he loved Led Zeppelin was one of his favorite bands. Yeah, he he was musical and he began to really transition the success into what's probably his true passion. And I don't want to say it's music. I think his passion is performance. I would absolutely agree. It's performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what he does best. And when we get later into his career, when he really peaks at, at you know, it's an actual legit <laughs> rock star. Mm hmm people critique the wrong aspects of his career and i don't think they focus on what he was doing really really well yeah but he was musical early on you know he talked about that yeah he likes music and that's for sure we'll get into it but his story is interesting because he kind of workshops his way up the ladder of success or i mean i guess that's arguable but he just is kind of figuring it out spitballing as he goes along He didn't follow the traditional path to musical success, which would be, I think, just playing music and like doing drugs. I don't know. Yeah. So he he didn't take the normal channels. Instead, he began to perform and experimented with kind of combining these feats of strength, because remember, he's crazy ripped, with music, which is a strange combo. But he was like, what are playing to my literal strengths here? How can I you know, do something with all this. So he started like bending steel, having people break concrete on his chest with a sledgehammer and blowing up hot water bottles, like the kind you use when you're sick and or like cartoon uses when they're sick until they would explode. He and, you know, we're going to go all over the place here because his timeline's a little weird, but he did stints in Las Vegas, and then he took a really saucy job as a nude waiter. <laughs> That's right. So he hit some like peaks and valleys early on, and he ends up in one of these valleys, and we'll get to how he ended up in this valley, but he, he took a job in Hawaii as a nude waiter, and... Um, that is what you think it is. And oh, yeah. yeah. No going around it. He talks about it, how that worked out for him. And as a young man, <laughs> I think he enjoyed it very much. Yeah, he made the most of that opportunity. Yes. And he kept that job. He was obviously like their top waiter mm-hmm. <laughs> because, he, because of his physique. physique. Yeah. But if eventually a gentleman who was not a strong man but well endowed came and kind of pushed him out of the position and when he lost this job as a nude waiter apparently uh his life needed to take a new focus yeah unfortunately that other guy came in and thor was was left there just hanging oh (laughs) uh speaking of his music though Mm because this is kind of where we're getting this is we're jumping around with timelines a little so let me back up with that story of the waiter and put Mm -hmm. it into context. He started with the accordion, which cracks me up because this is very much a 1950s thing that parents would do is get their kids and enrolled in learning the accordion. Uh, Does anybody even teach accordion anymore? I don't know. He learned the accordion, but then he really gravitated towards bass and writing lyrics. So his first band started in the early 70s and it was under the name Centaur, but he transitioned that, as you said, into more of this character. 
So by 1973, this is where we're getting into his musical career now. Mm-hmm. By 1973 is when he's bending steel and doing all this stuff. And he gets some of his other bodybuilder friends together and forms a rock band that combines this muscle and metal mm-hmm. <laughs> called body rock. And it was pretty short-lived because the, there was a lot of infighting and stuff with the other band members. It seemed like it was between the males and the females. Yeah, it was really weird. Unexpected. But basically, he saw the potential. And that's where it gets back to what you were saying, is he, he saw the potential performing. Two of his biggest idols or people he looked up to musically were Alice Cooper and Kiss, both very theatrical rock stars. Mm-hmm. So he knew that with his muscles, there was an area there that had not been really developed. And he's smart. I mean, it's true. And he knew he could get attention. He just needed to kind of grow this idea of being a rock star. Mm-hmm. And he was all in. And this is the story of Thor still to this day. Is he, it's not in an ironic way, he is just totally committed to yeah. being a performer. Yeah. And he's very enthusiastic, too. He's positive and i think i think that's just amazing you know you come across those people who are just like yeah it's gonna be great it's gonna be great and you kind of like pessimistically are like brace yourself for the fall kid yeah um but i don't i don't think that's really fair yes he doesn't succeed obviously nobody knows thor like they know brad pitt or whatever but he still as optimistic even to this day and i love that about him yeah and he really his story is a lot of highs and lows because when he does hit high he has real success Mm -hmm. it's just that he can't maintain it but his idea is i will be the next like the beatles basically like he thinks he's going to be the next big thing by combining rock music with muscles Mm -hmm. and that's when he develops the character of thor so he takes on this persona of being this larger-than-life metal superhero, which is brilliant in 1973. And he transitions into this band, Thor and the Imps, which go around performing, and he gets attention really quickly because people have not seen anything like it. He's sure. also a good-looking guy, and he's ripped. And he gets invited onto the Merv Griffin show in 1976, where it's kind of a variety show. He does his act, you know, bending steel, blowing up the water bottle. He performs a cover of a sweet song. But a lot of people saw it. They saw what he could do. And the phone started ringing. And he his career basically starts right here mm-hmm. as what will become a rock star. So he gets offers. He starts to get offers for recording music. Mm-hmm. And the band goes into the studio. He actually in 76 the same year opens for kiss and their manager is interested in taking him on and being like you're going to be the next big thing but he was being managed by bruce springsteen's manager no big deal yeah and both kind of fell apart and it fell apart while he was right in the middle of finishing up his debut record so this is already the story of thor where he's got all the the know-how and Mm -hmm. he's got the desire but things just keep messing up. Well, yes, but I want to say he gets in his own way because he is unbending in his personal vision. And with some artists, we go like they were unbending in their vision and they knew and they succeeded. 
And I think in his case, he got in his own way with his vision because he was unwilling to work. Like with Bruce Springsteen's manager, that that guy had this whole new vision and Thor walked because it was so misaligned with what he thought he wanted. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, you have to make those tough calls. I mean, in our Kate Bush episode, we talked about that. Mm -hmm. She put her foot down. And fortunately for her, it worked out to her benefit and she became you know, a massive success. But with him, he said, no, this is my act. This is my show and I'm not going to change things. Mm -hmm. The album was recorded. It did eventually come out in 1977. His first album, Keep the Dogs Away, came out Mm -hmm. and it went gold. It sold 50,000 copies. I mean, it, it was achieving success. Yeah. I personally, so let's just get this out of the way about Thor. Like he's, he's an interesting uh, cult figure, like we mentioned. Mm -hmm. But musically speaking, his first like three albums, I sincerely like them a lot. Not like them in an ironic way or something like that. They're great albums. And his very first one, this one that we're talking about in 77, is glam rock. It's really, and it's a solid album. It's a really, really good album from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. I I love it. And yeah. Actually, let's play a clip so people can hear, because I think most people know him as the mid '80s, you know, metal god. But let's let's hear where Thor started as a glam rocker, really. So you can hear his influences right there. He Very Alice Cooper to me. Yeah. Loved Alice Cooper, loved Bowie, loved all that stuff. Loved Black Sabbath too, but he was going to transition by the 80s into more like actual metal. Mm-hmm. You know, another weird thing that I, I think we need to touch on is his abduction. <laughs> okay. We haven't discussed this yet, but we'll get to it at the end. There's a fantastic documentary called I Am Thor that came out in 2015. Mm -hmm. And in it is what you're talking about. He tells this bonkers story that uh, I don't know. I don't know where this came from, but it's weird. Yeah, I tried to find information to corroborate his claims uh, that he was abducted by a record label. To sabotage his first album. To sabotage a deal. Yeah. Uh, and supposedly this is the reason he didn't like break big. (laughs) So I don't know what that means. (laughs) There's a lot of these really kooky side stories. It's really weird. And basically, you know, we'll, we'll get to it, but it's one of the weird Thor lore bits that we get and you just have to put that in your pipe and smoke it because i don't know what to make of it 
I mean, maybe it could have happened. There's like 2% of me that thinks that was real. He's also this six foot tall, at this time, massive, massively ripped bodybuilder. Yeah. So the thought of people just manhandling him, it's a little hard to believe. I don't know, because I feel like bodybuilders can't really fight. <laughs> oh, oh, here comes the hate mail. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, do they fight or do they just lift things? If they had to lift their way to freedom, sure, they could probably do that. How many men would it take, though, to drag that much muscle around? I don't know, but if you put a needle in his arm and drug him as he claimed, there wasn't a way to fight out. True. Maybe it did happen. I do like this, though. It's all part of the Thor story. Is Should we call it Floor? Floor? For, like, Thor lore? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's Floor. It would make a really good uh, movie, like a bio. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this first album's great. Yeah. So he had a lot going for him. Uh, he'd record an EP, got a little bit more attention in 83, did Unchained, and that really catapulted him more. He got the attention of Motorhead's manager in the UK, mm-hmm. and he was like, come over here. We can make you a star here for sure. Nobody's seen anything like this. So he goes over to the UK and starts playing at the legendary Marquee, which, you know, if you're playing there, everybody's seeing you. And yeah. in 84... Is this is where his really his career changes dramatically? Plays the, the marquee. I think Jimmy Page is there even at the, that night. Mm-hmm. Everybody sees it. Everybody is like, whoa, whoa, whoa! What is this guy all about? Let's talk about Thor for a second. In peak Thor, 1984-85, this is when he's at his absolute height. He looks like it's not quite as theatrical as like Guar. But it is... It's pretty close. It's its crazy. It's big shoulder pads with massive spikes. Uh, it's really, really fun. Very yes. theatrical. He does, like you said, he's still got this um, show where he's breaking bricks over his chest and all this stuff. He's got a sword that he's running around with. Bending and... actual steel. Yeah, he's bending steel. I want to find steel and try to bend it and just get a sense of his strength. Let's find, yeah. <laughs> let's find some steel. But he's he's a, he's quite an act to see. Mm-hmm. And the magazines and the press are completely infatuated of with course. him. And so um, it just takes off. So in the UK, really, is where he finds the most success. So by 1985, he records the album Only the Strong. And this is really, I think to date, this was his his major, major record. Had all these awesome tracks on it. Uh, One of them, Thunder in the Tundra, is really, really good. But it was stacked. It was a legit metal record. I don't know because Thor I always knew about in passing. But um, I'm curious to know, especially with some of our listeners who lived through this era as a little bit older than we were, was he taken very seriously as, as an actual metal act, or was he always just kind of like a sideshow? Like a novelty. Like a novelty act. Hard to say, because he was really good friends with Lemmy and Ozzy, because they <laughs> just thought he put on a great show, and they really respected him for that. So I don't know, but in 85, he was he was really at the top of his game, and that album went on to chart to become number one on the UK rock chart in, you know, in England. Mm -hmm. And it went platinum in Canada and the UK. 
So he was really achieving success. By 85, he was a legit rock star at this point. He's in all the magazines. He's got his cheesy music videos, which are really fun to watch. Yeah. And the album is solid. It's a really, really good album. Actually, let's play probably one of his best known tracks. And this just sits really well with everything of the time. Keep in mind, this is like classic Viking rock. You know, he would have paired really well with... (laughs) Iron Maiden or something where it's more historical. Let's listen to Let the Blood Run Red. So he's he's achieving all that he wanted, right? He's got mm-hmm. a hit album. He's selling. He's touring. Ready to break. He's well. He has broke. I mean, he's really doing really well right now. He's in the mix with everybody else. Problem is, like you mentioned earlier, uh, he kind of gets in his own way. But this is in a more understandable way. In '86, he releases another album, Recruits, Wild in the Streets. It's actually a soundtrack for a movie that he was in called Recruits. I don't know if he was quite ready for this. I think he thought he was and really wanted to conquer the world. But when it came at his, you know, face to face with real success, um, you know, you have to you have to be prepared. I don't know if he was. So all of this pressure is really escalating. You know, he's he's got some success and there is pressure to build on that success and grow to the next level, to, like, really break big. Yes, he's successful in England, but not in America, which is the market at that time. Yeah, he's not... His contemporaries of the time, you know, you would have Motley Crue and Iron Maiden and yeah. Ozzy. He's not Ozzy at this point, no, no, but no. he's right alongside Ozzy, and he's playing massive shows, but the, he's not quite there, and he knows that everybody's looking at him saying, okay, now... Now it's go time. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. And I think that this is just me guessing, but I feel like he's really well adjusted, like deep underneath. Oh, I think so too. He had some strange dalliances when he was in his early 20s that were like gross. Well, he was also a young 20-year-old. Yeah, but I, I feel like he's a good person. And I think that a lot of the people who are succeeding at this time... We're doing so in a like haze of drugs just to cope. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's what he was doing. So he fell apart. He hit a wall, like truly hit a wall. And he had a full mental breakdown. Like his life was maybe not going in the way that he wanted. And he he got to the point where he attempted suicide Yeah, he was hearing voices. And then after his suicide attempt, he was being watched for like his mental health and all this. And it basically he had to he had to recognize that that this could not go on as it was going on. Yes. He needed a major shift in order to survive. Yes. Like he just couldn't continue on the path. And I think that makes sense as I I consider myself to be a well adjusted person. I feel like 
the pressure that he was facing was uh, not okay. Like, you can't just function at that level and do so in a way that is safe and healthy mentally. So he had to just totally shift gears. And you had mentioned that he had done uh, recruits. Mm -hmm. And so he shifted to film. And he actually compared himself uh, to Elvis. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in that his music and his film were sort of interconnected. And I really agree on that level because his... His film work, you do know him as a musician in this film work. So it, it does make sense. So 86 was his film debut. And it was something like a police academy knockoff called Recruits. Yeah, yeah. That's what we discussed. Yeah. He followed this up with 1987's Zombie Nightmare, which, of course, I, you guys know, we've already covered. Go yeah. back and listen to it after this if you need a little refresher. Yeah, John Fasano's first, first film and... Really, they would work together for a couple times, and we'll find out they work together later on in life. Um, but yeah, Zombie Nightmare is a really fun one. Oh, yeah. And in the documentary, I think the bandmates were like, what? Okay, I guess we're just not a band anymore. Mm-hmm. And John's having a mental breakdown and thinks he needs to be an actor now. Yeah, I it, in, in the documentary that we watched, it made it seem like they didn't really understand what was going on. Uh, I don't know that they had the emotional availability to comprehend that he was at a point where he had to make a different choice or he was going to commit suicide. Yeah. So uh, I don't think they, they had the the uh, ability to understand and appreciate what he was trying to do. Yeah. So he followed up Zombie Nightmare with, um, obviously, his greatest cinematic work, <laughs> 1987's Rock and Roll Nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Which he wrote, produced, and starred in. And the soundtrack, which was released under the title The Edge of Hell with cool. the band The Tritons. Mm-hmm. Which we have on vinyl. Of course, I'm going to brag about it because it's awesome. It's so good. You know what? Let's play a track from Rock and Roll Nightmare. So this one goes way back in our relationship, mm-hmm. like really far back. And it's always been a fun one. Oh, yeah. And, you know, since we haven't actually covered Rock and Roll Nightmare here before, uh, I want to give you a little little teaser, a little rundown as that film is bananas. It's really only like a 30-minute film when you think about it, too. Well, the film was shot in seven days. His uh, then-wife, Rusty Hamilton, was in there as the seductress. Doesn't she go by the stage name Queen Pantera? Oh. I think she does. Oh, my goodness. I'm pretty sure that's who that is. All right. I love that name. So I'm going to give you an incredibly brief synopsis of this film. Okay. Just... But I'm not going to ruin the ending because I want you guys to watch it. This isn't a full episode on just that film. So I just want to give you a little 
little sampler plate. The film starts with a murder scene in an old house and then transitions into a super long sequence of a band driving around in a van. (laughs) Yeah. And I discovered that because I was like, why is this film so like, what's the band driving so long for? Why? Why? And it was because they were 10 minutes short and they when they finished editing the film so they're like let's just do that driving scene for 10 minutes and they did you can tell that they padded a lot of this film oh yeah so eventually the band pulls up to an old farmhouse that has been uh converted to a recording studio so it's the murder scene band studio recording studio whatever this band obviously a metal band called the tritons lead singer John Triton is played by, obviously, Thor. Mm-hmm. He gets the band to, like, practice, perform on their first night at the farmhouse after they have the weirdest dinner ever. And then little monsters begin to appear. <laughs> so great. And strange things start to happen. Band members and their, like, tag-along kind of gal pals, girlfriends begin to act strangely. And then they disappear. Eventually, only Triton is left, and he has a showdown with the evil. And finally, the evil shows itself, and a battle between good and evil takes place because, well, this is just a little sampler, and I don't want to ruin the very, very special ending for you. And I know you think that this film would launch his career, but it (laughs) didn't. And I am being sincere here. Because this film is a delight. You have to watch it. You have to watch this end scene. I'm not going to tell you what happens because I want you to go watch it. His hair is so good the in that final scene, The hair carries the film. It's so amazing. The hair, the film rests upon those locks. Yeah, he's great in this. He was really great in Zombie Nightmare, but he has such a small kind of role compared yeah. to this. because. He only has a speaking role in the beginning, really, before he's a zombie. That's where we get the classic. Hey, Ma, we won. <laughs> That's nice, son. You forgot the groceries. Oh, look, I'm sorry, Ma. Sorry, Ma. Sorry, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> we say that so much to each other. I want you listeners to understand how much we quote Thor in our daily life. Yeah. But with Rock and Roll Nightmare, he really, this is his time to shine. And, you know, it's it's a cool legacy to have. It's a fun film. It's definitely like an underground classic. It's a, it's a cherished film. It's a must-have if you're into metal horror like I am. Oh, you know, it's you top are. tier. But it's a fun soundtrack as well. Even though he tried to switch gears into acting instead of music, mm-hmm. he really just, this mental toll was too much for him and in 87 he walked away from everything he retired from everything Mm -hmm. music acting performing in all areas and he settled into the quiet life he and his wife bought a house in i think in north carolina even and this is where we're in the weird time of john michael thor's career of the late 80s that a lot of people don't quite know like what happened to Thor during this time? Wait, I feel like, was Andre the Giant in North Carolina at the same time? And were they neighbors and best friends? Was that where his farm was? I'd have to 
Let's just <laughs> re-listen to our episode. Let's just imagine that and pretend it's true, whether <laughs> it is or not. They were best friends. Okay. Okay. Well, because this is such a bizarre time <laughs> in Thor's life, figured why not have this be the moment that we do this week's um, fun fact. Yes. <laughs> Okay, this week's fun fact, 1987, once he has walked away from everything, mm-hmm. living the simple life, the quiet life. Mm-hmm. With Paris Hilton. <laughs> no, he was not living with Paris Hilton. Oh. He got a job at a glassware company. What? And he's working there, and he's enjoying it, but his royalties from his successful album is still coming in, and he's making a good living that he decides, I love this glassware company so much, I'm going to buy it. What? So he bought a glassware company okay. and then started producing items for microwaves and stuff like that and was really successful at it for a short what? time. So in this in-between time of being a rock star, he just was running a company, a glassware company. What? <laughs> Isn't that so bizarre? But it's, like, somehow on brand. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, in the documentary, this lines up, too. You see he shares, like, home video of him just living the the quiet life Mm -hmm. in this really beautiful location. You know, that's... I love that part of the documentary because it's him, like, being charmed by his wife and a cat. His cat, yeah. garden. Yeah. I mean, he did have his downs, too. He He and his wife did separate... Uh, you know, things weren't always peachy, but he he did kind of pull things back together. And then that really brings us to, you know, the third act of Thor, which is the mid-90s. All of a sudden, Thor emerges with hammer in hand, ready to get back into music. And he jokes about this. He jokes that, you know, when he had this company that he was running and everything, that he finally... He was happy. He had a good, simple life. His needs were met. And then he got the bright idea to get back into music. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that because I kind of, I like that he did it because talk about being on brand. How could he not? I mean, he really, he has this personality that just keeps pushing and keeps pushing. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I could have seen him turning into a pirate or something. Sure. But in 97, he makes his return. He puts out the album Ride of the Chariots. And then he goes all in. He knocks out the album. So Mm -hmm. because we're an 80s podcast, we're not going to go into the whole post 80s era. But between 97 and 2015, he put out 17 albums. (laughs) (laughs) That's aggressive. It is. He's got this really funny quote that I've seen him say a couple times in interviews where he said his grand plan is to to release one million albums and then just sell one album of each so that he can say he sold a million albums. (laughs) (laughs) That's the thing about Thor, too. Let's talk about that real quick. His whole persona with the, you know, the god of of metal and running around with a sword and spiked shoulder pads, loincloths, he always had it as a sense of humor too, like a grain of salt. He yeah. knew what he was doing. Whereas like Manowar, somebody as contemporaries really 
they were pretty damn serious about it. Yeah, he's silly. He's always been kind of silly, and he's always kind of joked about it. And so I do like that about him, but he's committed to his music. So he's pumping out all these albums. Also during this time, he does, you know, the the title track for the the uh, metal movie Fubar in 2002, which I'm sure listeners know. In 2005, we get the follow-up to Rock and Roll Nightmare, Intercessor, another Rock and Roll Nightmare. <sighs> John Fasano comes back as a producer. Hello. I have not seen this, and I, I'm mm-hmm. ashamed to admit, I keep wanting to watch it, and I keep sitting down to and then getting distracted, and I was determined to watch it before we got to this episode. I just couldn't get to it, but I will watch it, and uh, I'll let you know what I think. Okay. Then 2011, he does a rock opera, <laughs> which I also have not seen. Oh, my god! But I really want to see. And again, John Fasano comes on board with this one. And then we get to 2015, which we talked about. I Am Thor is released. It's a documentary. It's a really good documentary. It's solid. And it takes us through. We haven't talked about it, but he has a stroke along the way and basically has to fully recover. Yeah, 2007. He has like a, I think he even had two, maybe. He said something like that. Major stroke. Uh, He went temporary blind in one eye and everything else, but he fully recovers and then goes back to being committed to putting out albums, touring, and being a musician. Something I would strongly recommend to listeners that are interested in this subject matter would be Anvil, the story of Anvil. Oh, yeah. Which is a really amazing documentary. However, that one's a bit more depressing. It breaks my heart. Yeah, it's a bit more in line with American movie or something where it's just this constant struggle to get back what you once have. Yes, that's what Thor is doing in this documentary, but... To the credit of the filmmakers, it ends on a really positive note that makes you just constantly root for him and be like, I sincerely think he's a nice guy. I think that Mm -hmm. his heart is in the right place and he's not just doing it for money. He's doing it because he has a passion for this. No, it seems as though he could make money in a million other ways. He seems to really love what he does He's constantly reinventing himself. You know, now he obviously can't bend steel and, like, explode things with his lung power. But he is still performing, like, fully performing to the best of his ability. His passion is performance. And we see it still. And I think that that really shines through in the documentary because he he just seems like a neat person. He does. And he, he, like you said, he does He's got his hands in all kinds of cookie jars. He, you know, started back up a hockey team in Canada and everything else. He's just always doing stuff. But you're right. His absolute passion at the core is performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what's neat and comes through this documentary is that no matter what, he's got this desire to entertain, but he's committed to his fans. He's mm-hmm. a really down to earth. He's very kind. In all the interviews I listened to, I was listening to this interview earlier, and this guy, the host, went on this whole tangent about his father and and some illness that his father had. And when he was done, Thor just patiently listened to this whole long story. Mm -hmm. And the first thing he said when he started talking again was, 
thank you for sharing that story about your father. It was really amazing. And the way he talks with such sincerity makes you root for this guy. So it's like, why would you want him to stop doing what he loves? Yes, he does not look like 1984 Thor. Well, how could he? How could he? He's in his late 60s now. Yeah. Like, just let the guy jam out. And so I'm so glad that documentary came out. I was a little, like, I went into it a little apprehensive. Yeah, it made me anxious for him. Yes. And I was a little afraid it was going to be like the Anvil documentary. Mm -hmm. But I think I came out of it having even more respect for him. And I just, I'm like, good. Let this guy just do what he does best. Entertain people. And he seems genuinely kind. He definitely wants to put on a show. And I feel like his fans know that, respect it, and seek it out. I feel like a lot of his fans are young people. Yeah. Who discover him and are like, this guy's rad. And the difference being that when you discover an act that was famous 30 years ago, and then you see him, you're like, oh, well, that is not the case with Thor. I will say the overarching narrative of his life is, even in his late 60s, if you see Thor in concert, that guy puts on a show. Mm-hmm. I would liken him to somebody I've seen a couple times in concert, Bruce Dickinson, the lead singer of Iron Maiden. You do not know his age because he is whipping around the stage, putting on a show. He gives everything he's got. And Thor's the same way. Like, yeah. people, the the thing that is the constant is people are like, I maybe I didn't see him in 85, but holy cow, it's one of the best shows I've ever been to because mm-hmm. he just is all in. And that's why I think he has developed this really loyal fan base that spans several generations. Yeah, it absolutely does. I think he's got just an almost a superpower for work <laughs> ethic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Like either getting totally ripped when you're a teenager, pursuing your career, whatever weird thing he applies himself to, he does it relentlessly. Yeah. And I I admire that. Like, hats off to you, bud. Yeah. And so he's still putting out albums. He just put out another album. It's got, you know, Chris Holmes from Wasp is on there and everything else. I, he just He's still doing stuff. He's writing. He's acting. Hmm. Just a new film came out uh, in 2021 called Pact of Vengeance just came out. Yes. I watched the trailer and I definitely want to watch it. Cool. It looks awesome. But man, there's no slowing down for that guy. No. In his heyday, he was quite the character, though. And I think that's why this was worth telling, is when you go back and you look at Thor in Mm -hmm. the 80s, there was nobody else like him. No. And what he did, he did like to the hundredth degree. Full legend. So... Go put on those albums. Go back to his early 70s stuff or his mid 70s stuff. It is a jam. That album is so good. And then listen to his couple albums in the 80s and you will be shocked. They hold up. They're just good metal albums. Yeah, we're not lying to you. This isn't mythology. (laughs) Well, anyway, that's about all we have to say about Thor. I hope you guys enjoyed this because I think most people know his image. He's very recognizable, but I don't know if people really know how hard he has worked through all the ups and downs to continue to just do what he feels he was put on this earth to do. Yeah, I'm thoroughly impressed. 
I'm thoroughly impressed too. <laughs> yeah. We should have dropped this on Thursday. <laughs> Instead, it's Tuesday. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, that is it. We hope you enjoyed this. As always, if you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, review, anywhere you get your podcast. Tell your friends. Spread the word. I hope you're actually listening to this while you're at the gym. You feel motivated to get as ripped as Thor, and you do an extra set. Yeah, on his behalf. Yeah. yeah. Go that extra mile. Yep. Well, you can find us on Instagram at Lasergraves. You can check out all of our back episodes at lasergraves.com. As always, follow all of our friends. We share all of their episodes and our stories on Instagram. They're doing amazing things. And that's it for this episode. <laughs> Until next time, uh, we'll see you. Thank you very much. 